Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Blitz Business. Today with me, I have Jairam Balakrishnan, CEO of Edonation Services Private Limited. Edonation is the leading operator of K-12 institutions across India, providing managed school platform, which enables over 18,000 students across India to get access to quality education. In this episode, we understand from Jairam the Indian education market in depth, the challenges and opportunities in managing schools, Edunation's launch of new asset-light business model called Manchise, the future of learning through a blended approach, and the opportunities in edtech space. I hope you will enjoy this podcast. Hi, Jairam. Thank you so much for coming over to Blitz Business. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Ashish. Thank you so much for having me over. I think... um... Love to be here. Great, great, great. So, Jairam, if you can tell us a little bit uh, about your profile, then I think we can then touch upon a little bit on uh, Edonation. So, please. Yeah, sure, Ashish. Uh, so, Ashish, I have kind of now kind of been employed, worked for about 25 years. Uh, and funnily, I've spent the first 15 years on the banking side. Um, with, with banks like GE and City. Mm-hmm. Then um, I kind of got into education about 10 years back. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then I've been in education. Education largely has been on the school side, uh, but I've also spent some time um, managing higher education and also putting together a few products for the K-12 and higher ed space. Mm-hmm. So that's a very interesting uh, sort of uh, experience from uh, banking to education. So which one do you like the most? <laughs> that's a, it's a tough one. I, <laughs> I think I went to banking very early on. I, I was in banking in 96 when, mm-hmm. when unlike today, uh, there was no Sybil. Mm-hmm. And to go to people's homes to kind of do a credit check in that sense. But uh, no, it's been a while. I think both of them have their own thrills to it. Um, but but I think now I really enjoy being in this space because uh, given the whole dynamics of, of our country, uh, I think education is absolutely essential uh, for putting together a new India. Mm-hmm. And, um, and And I think really if I think of uh, becoming one of the largest economies in the world, the, the core is really education and ensuring that uh, the right to education is truly available mm. in the right for everyone, not just not just K-12, but, but going through the university system. And so I think that whole suite mm-hmm. uh, is absolutely critical. And now I am pretty much committed i guess now i'm committed to education i would say for the rest of my life so <laughs> no absolutely true in terms of education is the back uh, the backbone of any country and uh, it india especially has a huge potential uh, to leverage uh, and uh, from the new education policy what government is into and definitely education is the space to be in so this comes brings me to the next question so tell us a little bit about you're currently the ceo of edunation uh, if you can give us a brief on edunation yeah yeah so so edunation um, was born about a year back just to go back a little bit in history mm-hmm. 
we all know pearson pearson is the largest publishing company in the world and uh, i used to work for pearson so i used to be working for them for about 7 years 6 years and there we used to have a schools business so we used to have a schools business which used to be called as pearson schools uh, we had about 20 to 25 schools we used to have about 30000 children uh, and it was a very very profitable business uh, however uh, for strategic reasons pearson decided to divest that business because obviously edu schooling is not one of the core things obviously selling a lot of accessory products to school is one of the core businesses of pearson mm-hmm. uh, so we decided to kind of divest stakes and we uh, basically looked for partners who could allow us to grow and that's when the meeting with uh, our current parents which is uh, which is basically the ryan group and foundation holding foundation holding is a private equity Bengal Dubai and Ryan Group is the largest school network in India and maybe globally. So they came together and they bought over Pearson Schools. So so that's how mm-hmm. we came here and this new entity. Uh, interestingly, we when when we thought of a name, one of the dreams was to set up a school in every district of India. Wow. So current mm-hmm. Ryan has yeah one fifty schools. So the idea was how do we touch every district of india and that's how we said educating the nation and and that's how we came down to edu nation uh so that's the that's the story behind edu nation if i may and this transition happened on 27 july 2019 so it's been about so the company is about uh about 16 months old uh, or young as the cases mm-hmm. so so if, uh, so for uh, edunation uh, currently edunation is managing uh, uh, primarily uh, k12 right correct 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 so basically so, so again just to give a put, little bit of a context mm-hmm. i think uh, as you know ryan group runs about 150 schools and all of them are self owned schools so typically in a school business there are three companies so there is what you call as a property company which is the real estate company okay and then there is the operating company which is the trust mm-hmm. and then there is a management company which effectively runs the school okay so so in case currently in case of ryan they uh, own the propco opco and the manco so basically they own the entire structure wing to wing including the real estate mm-hmm. what we do at edunation is now two things one is we have a vertical where so we are we are building an asset light model uh, for the ryan group of schools mm-hmm. uh, so we have an asset light model where we will own the opco and the manco but we will lease out the building so it's more a built to suit kind of model typical hotel model mm-hmm. that we use uh and we are also trying to do a slightly more call it higher end of the ryan group schools a new new brand which will be called as a ryan international academy okay so here the curriculum as well as the infrastructure uh, will be of uh oh, i would say would be more forward looking built for the future so that's one business line that we are doing which is like a built to suit model we will we will basically own up the the opco and the manco uh, 
the second thing which is very interestingly something that we have rolled out a couple of months back is what we are calling as a manchise oh interesting name yeah so manchise is franchising with management so basically wow. yeah so so uh, as you know again so ryan like i said has been has, has run schools for 40 years but they've never franchised their brand and then we chatted and i went and told them i said look there is really a dearth of people who can impart good education in india and you've been around 40 years so why don't we kind of and there are a lot of people who want to set up schools but they don't know how to go about it mm-hmm. so i thought why don't we kind of go out there and tell people that we are happy to partner with you and we will run the school so the way this model works is let's say fashish you want to set up a school mm-hmm. you have the real estate the financial muscle power and so on and so forth so you put up the real estate you build the you set up the trust and you effectively outsource the running of the school to me because okay. i am the domain expert i run mm-hmm. the school wing to wing i am accountable for everything in terms of running the school uh, you put in the money and because of this combination your return on investment is better and together we are able to go to different places so that's the manchise model which is franchising of the ryan brand which has never happened so this is the first time ever we have only done a soft launch and actually yours will be pretty much the first podcast where we will where i'm talking about it so effectively we will cover the entire gamut of education so one is of course we have a vertical where we have completely wing to wing cell phone schools mm-hmm. we will have a vertical which is an asset light model where uh, lease the real estate but run the school and the third is we will have a manchise model so effectively anybody who is interested in doing school there can absolutely reach out to us and we will have a solution for them wow that's very interesting i think and it's a wonderful initiative also in terms of you know uh uh to have sort of the management sort of operation leads out to the experts right they know the best how to run an operations in a school and whoever is whoever has assets and the financial power as you said you know they can sit back and sort of uh do what best they can so everyone sort of it's a win win situations for everyone yeah yeah perfect perfect so tell me in terms of uh what are the challenges or what is the most difficult aspect in terms of running a school uh okay um, i think that uh that the question that possibly deserves a podcast in itself oh <laughs> okay i get it it's not easy <laughs> no it's a, again it, it's 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 uh, it's something that everybody knows and yet something that mm-hmm. is is difficult to kind of so so let me try and um again so so let me try and mm-hmm. make it into into kind of saying so i will try and touch upon it from uh two sides one is the the infrastructure required and two okay. from the operating perspective mm-hmm. uh so when i think of the infrastructure required i think um, real estate so obviously real estate is an integral part of the whole school process right mm. one i think 
real estate has become uh, expensive across india so therefore uh, for an individual to put out their real estate they need to get uh, a return on investment right mm-hmm. now the way the and all of us know that the way the the uh, education policy in india is structured uh, it's it's basically not for profit hmm. right so so basically most governments what they say and and education is a state subject while we have a central policy but it's a state subject uh, so basically either it is not for profit or a certain amount of profit a minimal profit is predefined and that money can only be plowed back into the school okay now now what that does is so again let me let me just kind of put some context to it saying mm-hmm. look india spends about used to spend about used to carve about about 3 to 4% of our gdp for education and and now i think we are trying to put about 6% of gdp mm-hmm. uh, for education uh just to put some numbers in perspective uh india has about 15 lakh schools mm-hmm. uh, of these 15 lakh schools there are 12 lakh government schools and there are about 3 lakh call it private schools mm-hmm. uh, and of these 3 lakh private schools there are about 25000 cbsc and icse schools mm-hmm. right so so trade and and fortunately or unfortunately a lot of us prefer going to a private system versus a public system true and even within the private system to a cbsc icsc versus non cbsc icsc so so therefore uh, so that's one set of challenge that we are dealing with the second set of challenge that we are dealing with is this whole thing about Uh, amount of money that the government can spend right so so one is government is saying okay we have large public systems small mm-hmm. private system but the people prefer to go to the private system however if you want to go to the private system we need a lot of private players to come in alternatively we want the government to be able to spend a lot on the public system to improve it mm. now in order to spend they need to spend a significant amount of their budgetary expenses in schools and a 5 6% of gdp might not be enough mm-hmm. now the reality is the way our whole uh, demographics and india as a country is structured uh, we have a large population which has to be catered to uh in terms of roti kapda and makan and of course we have our own defense challenges with our neighbors so therefore the government spending is largely focused on those things and will always be very restricted in terms of spending money on education so therefore what is the option if that is the case then the option really is to invite private sector to participate in education in a very big way which i think in the nep they have talked about bringing in foreign universities into india and so on and so forth right so that to happen schools need to become for profit or mm. for profit along with quality of education so government mm. need to focus more on the quality of education 
and as long as a certain kind of efficacy is delivered they should allow schools to profit mm-hmm. so i think that is very critical when i look at the investment side so basically on the investment side i think the biggest challenge and and look when you look around and and there are there is so much money which is coming to india right so we've all heard mm. the last 2 3 months there are uh, billions of dollars in terms of uh, private equity money that has come in prior to that through the covid period we saw people putting billions of dollars in reliance and various other companies so there is money absolutely i mean in edtech also like huge amounts of uh, money valuations in company huge amounts of money and that money can easily come towards k12 education if we mm-hmm. were to open up the sector with of course strong control ensuring that quality mm-hmm. of education is ensured and it reaches the last mile i think both of those are very important mm-hmm. so that's one challenge on the on the on the let's say business model side now if i come to the operating side i think um the biggest challenge that i guess we have is the um demand supply mismatch in terms of quality of teachers okay right so quality of teachers is a big uh, demand supply mismatch and and obviously this problem is of course there in tier 1 city and gets absolutely pronounced as you go deep down the geography so as you go into tier 3 tier 4 tier 5 it's absolutely difficult to get good quality teachers now um, a part of the problem also is in terms of who becomes teachers is at the top of the class is at the bottom percentile how do they get paid and so on and so forth so so therefore there is i think a big challenge in terms of the quality of teachers however i am very optimistic that this blended learning scenario has possibly opened up the doors for this or at least kind of shown a solution and the reason i say that ashish is look prior to 22nd of march we as mm-hmm. a country had never done online teaching in our schools absolutely right and 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 then overnight within about 10 days the entire country were teaching online and including i'm sure people working for you your help as home mm-hmm. uh, my helps children at home so they are all doing online classes of course right. uh, this is not across 15 lakh schools but this is a large number and my guess is there will be about 100 million children who are online wow uh, 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 there are 250 million children obviously it's a large number but for mm-hmm. example, i have a friend who stays in port blair and there mm-hmm. obviously there is an issue with connectivity so obviously there's a lot of beaming which happens uh, through the news media through through the television and mm-hmm. so on. but the bottom line is that covid is still on it's been about call it eight months but learning still continues now what mm-hmm. this does is it opens up a massive opportunity for uh let's say best practice sharing when i say quality of teachers there is a mismatch someone so, so people from across india could talk to each other and improve or raise the level of teaching across the country and this can now be done online mm-hmm. right so so i think that whole quality of teaching can be Uh, addressed in a certain way the second thing that is also possible is 
again it, it's again for so today if i look at the data in the next one year i think by 2021 about 75 crore indians will be internet enabled uh, so today okay. about 69 crore indians use internet uh, i think mm -hmm. it will be 75 crores which is not a small which is not a small number it's a very it's a, it's a big number yeah, yeah absolutely so what that does and 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 i think yeah in the next maybe 5 6 8 years you will have more than 100 crores 110 crores so pretty much it's like it's like the banking has happened right in the last 5 years pretty much most of <laughs> india has opened up mm -hmm. to digital banking right right so that's one of the reason this whole banking has flourished because of all the internet stuff it's gone almost to the last mile. And, and it's people in the villages who never thought they will have banking. And that's how the whole PDS system is working well. Money is reaching to the right people and so on and so forth. What I foresee is because of this whole thing, maybe virtual mm -hmm. schooling will become a reality. Now, what I mean by virtual schooling is that See, today the big challenge is 15 lakh schools. Yes, there are infrastructure challenges, but even if I fix infrastructure, there are massive teaching and teaching quality and teacher issues. Right. However, you could hypothetically, Ashish, have a situation where, let's say, there is a call center right here in Gurgaon, which has mm -hmm. about 1,000 teachers. Mm -hmm. We have tied up with the government of Haryana. Mm -hmm. We are reaching out to the last village in Haryana to do online teaching. Wow. It's a possibility. It's a possibility mm. it happens in US and a few other countries. But I think that's the biggest gain of this whole exercise. So both sides, on the business model side, I think the whole challenge is about uh, government is well intended, but they need to get mm. private players and for active, it needs to become for profit the control on the reach of education and the quality. On the mm. operating side, I think the quality of teachers is absolutely critical. But however, I think I see life as half glass full. So, so I see <laughs> it's like a huge opportunity. And, and therefore, this whole concept of empowering teachers by talking to each other and the whole virtual schooling is, in my view, a real possibility. I mean, excellent points, I think, which you mentioned in terms of the challenges from investment side, operational side, the quality of teacher, and especially in terms of the analogy, which you just drew in terms of from banking, mapping from your own experience, how banking sort of uh, developed in India, uh, reaching to the last mile. I think we are in sort of similar curve for education, for sure. Uh, so it brings me to a very uh, sort of a interesting question when you talked about blended learning, right? So do you do you foresee the future wherein uh, recorded content, quality recorded content will be sort of a key player or in terms of, because uh, how does the, because in terms of recorded content, uh, for example, uh, currently there is definitely, as you mentioned, uh, there is a supply side uh, challenges in terms of quality of teacher that can be sort of taken by providing quality content, having good teachers, as you mentioned, in terms of, and then spreading the content across different, different geos. But the other aspect of it is learning is also through interaction, right? So how do you see this sort of gap uh, uh, in blended learning will be uh, overcome? 
Yeah, so, so again, I will I will reflect on an experience or or what I saw in the US way back in 2015. So Pearson had a, acquired a company called Connections. Okay. And uh, Connections is a large virtual schooling company. Virtual schooling is a large play in the US. Now, uh, so typically in the US, it's it's a lot more structured. What happens is uh, these are typically either first generation learners. Uh, surprise, surprise. People think US is you might not have that, but yeah, there are first generation learners and there are children who are out of school because they've been bullied and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So typically people who are uncomfortable going to a normal school, uh, parents of all these people petition to the local governor. So they okay. go to the local state, local governor, let's say uh, Pennsylvania state, they go to the local governor, petition and make a... And then the governor and the and the state passes a judgment and then they open it up and invite private players to participate in the virtual schooling process. Mm-hmm. So private players make a bid for various counties in the state and they get allotted these counties. Then the government pays some amount of money. So let's say government pays, uh, let's say $15,000 per, per child. Okay. Now, the way this works is the, the private players are supposed to ensure internet connectivity, infrastructure, computers, all of that. And of course, they also take home some profit. And the government mandate is that the quality of outcomes through virtual schooling has to be equal to normal schooling. So that's the single biggest criteria that they look for. How do they sort of map? What is the, is it a quantifiable metric they look after? It's largely quantifiable, Ashish, in the sense that, see, even in India, uh, basically NCF, our National Curriculum Framework, Mm -hmm. defines the outcome that need to be achieved at uh, very, very detailed levels. Of course, they define at topic, chapter, lesson levels. But again, Mm -hmm. just to simplify this, it might say that at the end of class one, I expect children to know double-digit addition, for example. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's measurable. It's very clearly measurable. Correct. The point that I was making is so what, what the way this works is now so government has facilitated this process. Government has defined the metric saying, look, just because you're doing virtual schooling, mm-hmm. cannot be different. The opportunities have to be same and you need to be, you will be basically held for ensuring the outcomes that both of these guys are doing well. Now, obviously, there are uh, first they started only with virtual schooling where, like I said, there is a big center in Pennsylvania or Philadelphia and that hub reaches out to multiple counties. And it's like a normal online virtual class that happens like it's happening today in India. Obviously, the whole software is a lot more sophisticated. Hopefully, mm-hmm. where there are very small children, they all gather in one person's house and there is an elder who is responsible for, let's say, managing that class locally. Managing as in, if there are seven, eight children together in that house, small children, then there is one mm-hmm. lady supervising those seven, eight children. So that's okay. the way it works, used to work. What they have done over the last, I would say, seven, eight years is they have created what is called as a blended school experience. Coming to your point on interaction. 
so what they have done is so you can do virtual schooling but they have also created schools basically centers so they have uh, created okay. physical centers so what happens mm-hmm. is let's say jairam is enrolled in virtual schooling in the penn state but however mm-hmm. there is a physical school in philadelphia mm-hmm. so physic so you have the option of doing a virtual school you have the option of coming to this once in a while logging in from this school and attending mm-hmm. the classes and also in this school there is a nice cafeteria there are other students who come and also there are doubt clearing physical classes that happen so you know that on tuesday 11 to 12 for class 9 there will be a physics class mm. so basically they have made it blended learning in the true sense so the point that you are making is absolutely right i think this is one the second is obviously there is this whole element of extra curricular activities right mm-hmm. so so basically what needs to happen is so let's say if you are trying to support a school call it in a remote tribal area in india mm. yes ideally you get the children to the school in that area ensure that there is good infrastructure in that school which the local government mm. can provide mm-hmm. and with internet the way it's expanding i think connectivity will happen it's a matter of time mm-hmm. so therefore the school is online yet blended now you could also have local teachers who who benefit from other good teachers across india true true besides that there is extra curricular so one is obviously they interacting they're all in the same class and all this technologies it's very easy to do that then of course there is a sports activity which has to happen locally there is extra curricular mm-hmm. which has to happen locally the independence day the republic day the annual day mm-hmm. these other activities will happen locally Mm. So it's a, I can I can almost envisage a very <laughs> uh, India, and I think it's absolutely doable. Uh, and I think this COVID in the last eight months has really uh, put it, I would say, within our reach to be able to achieve something like that. Uh, no, absolutely. The way you know you explain it is something you know which can be definitely be achievable. And I think uh, the analogy I will draw is from the retail side, where the strategy has been similar, sort of in terms of omni-channel strategy, where you will have, for example, Amazon was predominantly online, but they have now opened up retail store also. So I mean, there. There is also a channel of uh, offline and online space. I think similar stuff is will be going to happen very soon in terms of blended learning, and I think it's a very very interesting uh, concept, uh, and it sort of plays on the strength of both sides of the party, maybe government, private schools. And if you look at uh, and and banking again is a classic example, Ashish, because if you look at it, mm-hmm. uh, let's say twenty years back, or mm-hmm. would say even 15 years back or banking was predominantly brick and mortar right right and from brick and mortar today banking has almost shifted to being digital right i i, I don't remember when was the last time there was a need for me to go to a bank yes right? yes <laughs> having said that banks still exist because if you if you think of banks as schools you still go to the you, know, you might go there for A relationship meeting, or physically, the bank still exists. 
you were to mm-hmm. think of schools in the same manner uh, and the brick and mortar will exist whereas banking has taken online with with the help of online if you have reached the last mile same thing can be achieved for the school just that the absolute structure see again the, the fundamental difference ashish is banking uh, there are a lot of private banks and and therefore it makes mm-hmm. it a little easier the school mm-hmm. infrastructure either you'll have to allow private or you'll have to have governments beefing up infrastructure the infrastructure is key right you need correct, table correct. chair fan light and internet uh, absolutely and and you mentioned banking i think i will also encourage all the listeners to look after a company called ant financial it's a company uh, where people as described they have zero stores but a valuation more than uh, goldman or city uh, city bank right so they are predominantly it's a chinese uh, company predominantly all digital uh, so i think yeah definitely that's a very interesting analogy another one in terms of banking also i think sector by sector we are approaching towards certain such scenarios where blended learning omni channel strategy sort of everything has to sort of be uh, uh build it together you know there will not be one channel which will be predominantly available because ultimately as human we need interactions for whatever service we are looking at absolutely ashish i think absolutely right so this brings me to a very interesting question in terms of how do you see i mean there was little bit of an outrage in terms of when all the international universities are uh, i'm not too sure about schools at least but what in the media coverage at least in washington post new york times wherein people were asking is it worth to pay for such virtual learning you know because the experience have will be sort of okay even so there are two scenario one is completely going virtual what happened in covid time but uh, moving forward in future it will be sort of a blended learning but where does a, for a parent or uh, uh, the student you know the comfort lies in is it justifiable to have the complete uh, fee to be paid out in a virtual experience or what is your take on that particular piece uh, so i think there are so the way i look at it is virtual learning is a is a facilitator so let me kind of step back and say okay uh, we measure or or one of the metrics that is used to look at education penetration in a country is something called as a gross enrollment ratio Now the gross okay. enrollment ratio is effectively how many students from 10 went on to class 11 mm-hmm. right so uh, for countries like the us and most of the developed countries these numbers are in the 60 to 80% mm-hmm. for a lot of asian countries it will be in the 40 to 60% and uh, for for even even some of the uh, countries that we think are a little challenged like some of the african countries it could still be in high 30s uh, the gross enrollment ratio reported for india last was about 22% oh wow. okay uh, so i think all of us are a privileged lot right all of us mm-hmm. say our kids and we are a very privileged lot and we are lucky to be where we are so uh, see i am talking about this purely from reaching 250 million children so today mm. i think most 
so obviously this is not really a solution solution for the private uh, or, or for the people who are already able to access education or quality education this is saying that so you have multiple tiers right so you have an a tier where you say okay here are the tier 1 tier 2 cities where there are good schools available and uh, that can continue the way it is then you go to the b schools where you say okay there is reasonable infrastructure available average teacher available how can we support them with online so it it continues to be blended in that sense Mm-hmm. And the third situation is where, and again, I'm including government schools as well here. And I'm saying the third situation is schools which are very poorly infrastructured in extreme remote areas, very difficult to get quality teachers. There, of course, this can have a big bearing on supporting them. So therefore, these are three levels of schools, A, B, and C. Now, coming to your point on the value of uh education as in how much right right how do you value such blended service right so the so there are two things here ashish uh, what again so let's say how many schools in india of these 15 lakh uh, mm-hmm. do you think will have fees of more than let's say uh, 60000 rupees very very less i think i'm not right. sure how so in india of this 15 lakh not more than 2 lakh schools will possibly have fees of more than 30000 rupees or annum so therefore the value that you're talking about is a very very mm-hmm. small uh, value in that context mm. for school education so here true the the education reaching that child takes precedence over the money. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, uh, see again, I, I'm not saying reach out with online schooling where physical schooling is easily possible. I'm, I'm basically professing three models. Model one, where physical schooling is there, good schools are there, we can have their children going there. Yes, you can still use online to further their knowledge and so on and so forth. The second mm. is schools which are there, well, reasonably well infrastructure. These are more tier three, tier four. Quality of teachers are average. There you can use this online to support those quality of teachers and make them even superior. And the right. third is college school C, where the infrastructure is extremely poor. Quality of teachers is extremely poor. Students are largely first generation learners. And Mm -hmm. there, this can really help bring them together. So I'm I'm really talking about a large pan-India partnership approach, uh, which can enable moving the gross enrollment ratio significantly. Because for the gross enrollment ratio to move, you have to give access to good quality education to everybody. Right. And India being so diverse, I mean, you cannot have a single strategy and it has to be sort of segregated in the way sort of you mentioned. Correct, correct. So it may make sense. And also Mm -hmm. because education is a state subject, 
this will have to be mm-hmm. like for instance let me give you an example of uh, what we hear in delhi right so what what mm-hmm. arvind kejriwal uh, seems to have done in delhi mr is basically he has ensured that one schools the government schools are very well infrastructured so they are in no way inferior to the private schools so schools have good furniture they have an icit board they have so they have all the resources that a good private school classroom has mm-hmm. second thing that he has done is he's ensured that there are teachers who are there in the class and teaching and these are reasonably good quality teachers third thing is ensured is in terms of content and resources and support all of that is available mm-hmm. now because it's delhi you could pretty much do it physically i think with the support mm-hmm. of the local government you can ensure that these three aspects are available in each school but but obviously every state government will have to drive this right you and me right. cannot drive it but and and there so, is benefit for everyone right so so there is benefit for uh, the the call it the um, so so everyone in power so for instance everyone is in power who is not in power who is an mla an mp because people this is mm-hmm. there can't be a larger story for anyone to tell than saying hey i am a i have a 100% gross enrollment ratio or an education rate in my my call it village or district or as the case might be um so i think yeah the states will have to play a very big role but absolutely uh, doable and there's so many states i think uh, who are doing i think haryana is doing a good job i think mm-hmm. maharashtra is doing a reasonably good job i think tn is doing a good job i think delhi is doing a very good job mm-hmm. and again i'm not talking so much here about private schools but i'm talking about education in general in the country right right so if i can stretch this thought process a little bit further in terms of saying uh taking again the sort of analogies from other segments what has happened beat banking retail or the other sort of space do you see in folk uh, in the coming future uh, companies like byju which has billion dollar plus valuations going into or acquisition of schools um i think um, see i think again so i would say yes and no so there are two things one is uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i do foresee this becoming a very very large play uh, mm. but um school is not just about online teaching so i do see this as a very very large play but i do see this as an advantage for people who have been in the space for a long time because like i said school is about the academic rigor in the classroom it's about the extra curriculars it's about the sports uh it, so 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 there are multiple aspects to a school right so it's right. not just so, so what what uh, typically most of the edtech companies do is they have all the content to maybe 
right no no absolutely right but in terms of to provide a true blended learning experience someone will definitely have to make a move either a school acquiring or taking some stake in terms of an education edtech yeah. company yeah. or edtech or vice versa right to have a true there needs to be a bridge to offer a complete yeah, yeah. So, so it's funny you bring that up because uh, so we've done something very uh, very close to what you're saying because we basically uh, not 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 because of covid but basically our dream is to let's say in the next 10 years between the, the large ryan umbrella to maybe have about 300 odd schools so we currently have about 150 schools doing about 3 lakh students we want to reach out to maybe mm-hmm. 6 lakh students in the next 10 years now mm-hmm. when we do things that we are conscious about is the fact that if we spread so far out uh there has to be consistency in the standard of teaching right the point that i've been kind of making all this while mm. so we mm. have been talking and even i'm, I'm saying when, when we've been around 40 years and obviously there's a lot of knowledge uh but but we've been talking to a lot of people to try and see how do we create a learning management system um uh, which can be used across all the schools in a seamless manner so sitting where you are sitting the teachers can teach and everything is available and their job is really focused on delivery hmm so we were talking to a lot of people and then um, sometime in march we identified topper as one of our partners and along with topper we have created a school what we call as a school operating system okay so this is nothing but a learning management system Uh, which is basically a platform for online teaching can be used offline in the classroom all of that it has lots of content which is available uh, in different shapes and forms there is visual content there is q and a's there is uh, true and false contents there are long answer contents there is text so there are all kinds of stuff and there is assessment hmm so now and this has been one of our biggest wins in the covid uh, through this covid because we envisaged this and signed up in march and in june we rolled out and today we have about 1 lakh children across all our schools more than 1 lakh children across all our schools who are using who are being taught through the school os so the teachers wow. are actually teaching using the school os exactly wow. the point that you made Mm-hmm. we were already in the space we've been around for a long time but if you want to expand you need some of these things true um so so yeah so you you kind of hit the nail on the head so this is something that uh we did and and i think that's worked very favorably for us well wow. that that's an impressive number to achieve you know uh, over a lakh students uh, 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 learning through such system i think and definitely it will be uh, an increasing number i'm sure uh, as situation uh, uh, goes on uh, so it sort of you know it's a, such an interesting segment i can go on and forever <laughs> but to wrap it up yeah you know i i i, I want to ask you uh what will be your suggestion in terms of um someone starting let's say picking two perspectives someone starting an edtech company or uh in sort of entering into education segment from a business perspective you know what will be your suggestions be in terms of uh 
uh, you have the entire experience in terms of in the education segment. What will be your key sort of takeaways if someone is looking to start maybe an edtech company uh, in India? I mean, definitely we have talked about where the sort of the future is heading in terms of blended learning, but there there is uh, we have seen a lot of activity happening in education. A lot of companies coming up offering uh, different different. Uh, services but what will be sort of your suggestion from your perspective how should they be looking to position uh, themselves if someone is starting right now in a tech yeah so so first thing uh, so a couple of things ashish first and foremost i think uh, just the numbers are so large that i would say that there is enough space for many people uh, okay. The numbers are very, very large. So, like I said, I think there are two fifty million children, and uh, so the numbers, numbers are crazy. I think the numbers are very, mm-hmm. very large. Uh, so that's that's uh, one. I think the second thing is what I think the if someone wants to get into the edtech space, I think you should uh, you could focus on both. So you could focus on. Yeah, again, my my sense is the content is a given, and therefore mm-hmm. content will no longer be a USB. Uh, ah, right. right. So content will be available. So content, in my view, for any edtech company, will not be a USB. However, the USB uh, will be the delivery. Mm-hmm. You mean the software piece through which? Uh... So, so the uh, so the delivery and ability or the reach. Mm-hmm. So one is when I say delivery, what I mean is both in terms of the platform that you have and mm-hmm. the ability of a tutor to deliver on that platform. Okay. Right. So, so for instance, if you are putting a platform like School OS, which is for teachers, then it should be very easy for teachers to deliver on that platform. On the other hand, if you are a Bejus or a Topper or a Vedantu and you have a platform where you have tutors talking to a children, the way the tutors deliver to the children is going mm. to be absolutely critical. So, the point we are making mm. is, I think the delivery in terms of the actual platform and the ability of the people to use the platform and make that whole experience very interesting is going to be very very right. important yes that i think absolutely i mean that could that will that could be potential big differentiator because ultimately when sort of can, uh, content sort of gets saturated you know yeah. if you move to the next level the delivery is the so if you think of a movie uh, hmm a good story is only as good as the delivery. <laughs> I think very well said. <laughs> right. So, so I think if someone wants to get into the edtech space, I think the ability to deliver is absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. Both the, the people who are involved and the platform is critical. And the second mm-hmm. thing is the reach. How mm-hmm. deep can you go? See, today, I think most edtech companies are able to charge a premium for their offering. Mm -hmm. Because today, if you enroll for any 
supplementary course and that's where i'm i'm not talking about schools but i'm talking if you think of an edtech or a topper group course right, right. run you want to run a white hat junior course it will cost you 30 40000 rupees you are able to charge a premium but as you have seen in most of the industries these charges will get beaten down yes and that that will then get defined by or made up to some extent by the reach Mm. right how deeply can you penetrate so finally the differentiator is a combination of delivery and reach and of course outcomes but outcomes will take some time when i say outcomes how are your children performing in the overall game eventually how successful are they in school college work wise and so on and so forth but mm-hmm. but So, right. so if i were to say if you are an edtech company one i am saying you could obviously you should try and focus on school children you could either be in the school learning management space or which is the primary education space or the supplementary education space which is all the test prep and support activities that happen outside of school you could be in either of those space mm-hmm. but i think the key is to focus on delivery reach and outcomes right and in the short term if you ask me someone wants to quickly get into the space like i said obviously today there is a huge dearth of quality teachers and teaching in schools so that's where i think the bejus the vedantus and the toppers and all of them are kind of lining up because obviously there is a lot of support that a child requires outside school hmm but but yeah man absolutely i think uh, there will be a lot of action in this space and uh, and again even if you look at the school space school is really brick and mortar but if you look at the last two years there have been some very large acquisitions in this space so so okridge Uh, was bought by Nord Anglia and KKR invested money in Euro and Pearson bought us and Sequoia bought uh, Orchids and so there been I think at least I would mm. say about uh, five six thousand crores or close to a billion dollar got pumped into brick and mortar schools. I'm not talking. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Wow. So the Okridge deal was about fifteen hundred crores. Euro was again about fifteen hundred to two thousand crores. Uh, so if you add all of that so so at least if not a billion maybe about 750 million got pumped in in the last couple of years uh, and obviously now people have pumped in that money and they are all looking at expanding and, and mm-hmm. uh, so there will be a lot of action so i think there will be a lot of action more and more people are now kind of uh, wanting so everybody is wanting to get their children educated i'm not talking about you and me but i think people who who work with us work for us people in the lower strata of the segment who who are not very well off uh, they want to provide the best education and the children are doing well uh, and and but just just for example the person who supports us as, at home and 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 basically has been with us for a long period of time mm-hmm. uh, his so, so he also drives our vehicle and mm-hmm. his daughter now is in class 12 and and she is like almost like a first generation learner because he's not studied uh, mm. he's he studied but not not formal like education not formal education and so on and so mm-hmm. forth 
So she scored in the high 80s in her CBSE exam. Wow, impressive. So she scored like 88, 89%, and and she's in a government school, and she's now enrolled in commerce, and she's one of the toppers of our batch, and uh, she was given an iPad or a tablet. Because what what I think the Kejriwal government does mm. is to all the good students, they help them with tablets and so on and so forth. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so she's got a tablet. She's super excited. Now when I talk to her, uh, uh, when I chat with her, it, it's it's like talking to any other young mm. kid. Right? <laughs> so, so he's very clear and I've... So we keep talking and he's very clear. He says, I want to provide the best education to my daughter and take her to the best college. Now with that happening, I think there is going to be no dearth on the supply side. The, sorry, on the demand yes. side. I don't, I don't think there's going to be a dearth on the demand side. Mm. I think the supply side will have to really gear up. So this is a very funny situation. Right <laughs> there is almost unlimited demand in the foreseeable future. Yes. And uh, the supply side has to be. The supply side is a constraint. Yes, yes. Uh, I can totally imagine. I mean, it, it, it's just wonderful. I mean, in terms of the way you explain and the entire la- landscape of EdTech, especially where the current uh, picture is and how the sh- things will be shifting towards delivery, reach, and then finally to outcome. I think uh, uh, that's a great foresight. Uh, I mean, uh, definitely it comes from uh, you're speaking with experience and I think it's a very valuable information for everyone who's listening also. Um, I think uh, I'll say, Jaram, thank you so much. It, it was such a pleasure. You know, I could have gone for long, but I've kept you <laughs> way over our time. <laughs> but thank you so much. It was such a wonderful pleasure to have you. The insights, all the key information in terms of uh, what is ha- happening in education sector per se, and how things are evolving. I think it was just brilliant. It was just brilliant. So thank you so much, Ashish. I think uh, thank you for having me over. I think uh, it's a very humbling experience. I think uh, always very happy to share. And even if it benefits one more person, I'm, I, I'll be delighted. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, We'll be back with more interesting episodes soon. Stay tuned.